a few weeks back, when we were talking about the dream of Yaakov, when he slept and he dreamt of the sulam, of the ladder that went from the land all the way up until Shamayim, we talked about the importance of dreams, how one dream can make a difference in the entirety of someone's life. It can even change the course of history. However, at that time, the focus of our shir was not on the dream of itself. It was on the episode as a whole. Today, I want to focus, though, on dreams, because in this week's Parsha, we have a very strong emphasis on the idea of dreams, specifically in connection to Yosef HaTzadik. So in order to understand this, we just need to understand where are we at. The family of Yaakov Avinu has finally returned back to Eretz Yisrael after their trip back from Lavan's home, after their encounter with Esau. They are now in the beginning of Bereshit's Lavan Zion. They are settled back in Eretz Canaan. And it says in the first source on our source sheet, again, the sources are in the chat. I apologize. I copy and pasted this source in a way that two of the psukim repeat, but we'll just, it's easy to notice. So we'll take those out. Yaakov and his family now were now settled in the land of his ancestors. What happens next after they settle back in Eretz Kena'an? Eila told us Yaakov, these are the offspring of Yaakov. Yosef ben Shiva Esrishana, Yosef was 17 years old. He used to tend to the flocks, he used to shepherd with his brothers. We are not sure exactly what it means, we are going to look into the Mepharshim in one minute. But he used to do something, Ni'er is the Lashon of Na'ar, of a young child. And he used to bring negative reports about his brothers back to his father. Now what we are about to see here is we are about to delve into the sibling dynamic that had been created within Yaakov Avinu's family. That we know at this point, there are, no, at this point, there are 12 children. And these are all the children of Yaakov, from Rachel, from Leah, from Bilhah, from Zilpah. And there is quite the sibling dynamic. And while I am an only child, people may not know that, but I am an only child, I do understand enough about sibling dynamics to understand that what we know even in this short little Pasuk is not exactly setting us up for a successful sibling relationship. Yosef is bringing back negative reports to his pair, to his father about his brothers. Doesn't seem like a great way to be starting. But just to understand, what is Vuhuni Er Ebene Bilha Ebene Zilpa? Rashi and the Rashi that follows comments Vuhuni Er Shahaya Usema Asei Naarut Mitakin Bisaro Mimashmish Beinav Kidishi Yener Ayafa. Yosef's actions were childish. He would do his hair, he would fix his eyes, he would make himself even better looking. 
So what Rashi is explaining is not something specifically that he did to the Bnei Bilha and Bnei Zilpa. That other Mepharshim will comment on. What Rashi is commenting is he is saying, what is this Vihuni air? He used to make himself in a childish way. That he used to focus on himself. It was a very self-centered type of activity. He would focus on himself and specifically on beautifying himself. So what does this have to do, B'nai Bilha and B'nai Zilpa? The Mepharshim develop two general approaches as to what this means. Either they connect the Vihuni air at B'nai Bilha and B'nai Zilpa to mean that he infantilized them, that he made them into young children, that he used to look down on the B'nai Bilha and the B'nai Zilpa, he used to minimize them. So in essence, he would turn them into, he would approach them as young children, even though he was younger. On the other hand, some of the other Mepharshim explain it not in a negative sense, but rather that Yosef was the closest in his relationship to the Bnei Bilha and Bnei Zilpa because he was young and they were sort of on this lower level. So they were the ones who were willing to be friends with Yosef. So either way, either he's friends with them, which is possibly true, or he is minimizing them. He is making them feel like young children. He is focusing on himself as if he is a young child, constantly focusing on himself, beautifying himself. He is bringing, whatever is happening with the Bnei Bilha and Bnei Zilpa, in the end of the Pasuk, he is bringing negative reports about his brothers back to his father. So we are definitely not off to a good foot here. Oh, now it's going to get worse. Yosef loved Yosef more than all of his children. Because he is the child of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. What is this Ben Zikunim? The typical understanding of a Ben Zikunim is a child that you have in your old age. However, Yisachar and Zebulon, the final two children of Leah, are not much older than Yosef. So it's not like there is a large gap and then Yosef is clearly the Ben Zikunim. He is pretty close in age to some of the other Shvatim. So this leads other Mepharshim, I believe the Ramban specifically, to explain that what is this Ben Zikunim? There was a trend or a custom at that time that one would choose one of the younger children in the family to be at the specific, let's call it shamish of the father. That if all of the children were to go out, this one child would stay behind and would tend to the father. In this case, that child was Yosef, that Yosef was Yaakov's ben Zikunim, which explains the story in the following parak where the rest of the brothers go out to shepherd, and Yaakov um, keeps Yosef at home and eventually sends Yosef out to check on his brothers, in which the fateful event occurs and Yosef is sent down to Egypt. But this explains why Yosef was not with the rest of his brothers. And so as a reward for his love or as a token of his love, Yaakov gives Yosef this ketonet pasim, this coat of many colors. Lest we think that this went unnoticed, that Yosef was more beloved to his father. Rather, the Pasuk specifically tells us that the brothers recognized and they understood that Yaakov loved Yosef more than he loved the rest of them. And 
And now we are going to enter into the topic of dreams that we are going to see is going to be repeated with Yosef many times. And it begins with this dream. Yosef dreamt a dream. Yosef tells his brothers that he had a dream and they begin to hate him even more just because he told them he had this dream. So now this is going to be a little ambiguous here. Yosef is going to tell his brothers two dreams. However, we have this introductory Pasuk that we just read that seems to imply another dream. So either we can understand that this is that Yosef said he had a dream and then in the following Pasuk explains what that dream is and therefore it is two dreams total, or we can understand that Yosef actually had three dreams. The first, we are not privy to what that dream was, only his brothers were. The second one, we receive an explanation, and the third one, we receive an explanation as well. So we have to remember that it can be looked at in two ways. Either there were three dreams, we know what two of them were, and the other one is left unknown, or there was two dreams total with just two of the psukim described in one of the dreams. So Yosef says, listen to this dream I dreamt. We were all in the field, we were gathering sheaves of wheat. What happened? We were all out in the field and we were making sheaves of wheat, my sheaf of wheat, gets up, goes to the middle, and all of the other sheaves of wheat, all of your sheaves of wheat, surround my sheaf of wheat, and they all bow down to my sheaf of wheat. His brother said to him, like, why are you telling us this? Like, do you believe you're going to be the ruler over us? Are you going to rule us? They continued to hate him more. Everything that Yosef is doing is leading to greater and greater hatred towards him. Why did they hate, them specific, hate him specifically here? What caused their hatred to increase? The dreams, the al-dvarav, and his words. Yosef then had another dream. Now, Yosef dreams another dream, and he tells it over to his brothers, and he says, Behold, I dreamt another dream. And behold, this Shemesh Ve'erech, the sun and the moon and 11 stars, Mishach Avimli, were bowing down to me. He tells this one not only to his brothers, but he tells this one over to his father as well. And his father rebuked him. What is this dream that you're dreaming? Do you really think that myself and your mother and your brothers are going to come and are going to bow down to you? His brothers had a hatred towards him. So Yosef tells over this either second or third dream to his brothers. And while, um, while Yaakov immediately rebukes him for it, it also says that Yaakov tucked away 
this dream for a later date. He, he kept in mind that Yosef had had this dream. So we have a number of questions that I want to try to understand from these second. The first question is, do these dreams really mean anything? Are we meant to take these dreams seriously at all? Are we meant to understand them as prophetic? How are we meant to look at the nature of these dreams? So Rashi explains and says, Havonavo, the Haloim Chak Farmita. Yaakov is pointing out and saying, Are you expecting me and your mother to come out? Your mother has already died. What Yaakov did not understand is he was trying to disqualify the, the possibility of this dream being true by saying, it's clear in this second dream that the sun and the moon are meant to be me, your father, and your mother, but your mother has already passed away. Therefore, it cannot be true. However, what Rashi is pointing out that Yaakov did not understand was that this could have really been referring to Bilha, that Bilha was the one who had raised him like his mother. And our rabbis learned from here. The Yaakov was trying to point out something that was false within a dream. And our rabbis learned from here that there is no dream that doesn't have some element of Dvarim Batilim, something that is not true or, or not possible. The Yaakov Nitkavin Lahutsia Dvar Milev Banav Shaloyakin Uhu, Likafa Marlo Havonavo. Yaakov looked at the situation and he said, regardless of how we are meant to understand this dream, I need to stop my, the majority of my sons from hating my son Yosef. So he immediately rebukes him in this way and says, oh, it's not possible. The dream is not true. In the, the premise of the dream is that your mother is there and your mother has already passed away. Therefore, we can just disregard this dream. Kishim just like it is impossible that your mother would be there, so too the rest of the dream is batel. However, the insight that we have is that our rabotinu lamdu, like it is very much so possible that only part of the dream was batel because part of every dream is batel. If you think about a dream, sometimes you can have the most realistic of dreams. However, there will always be something in there that throws it off. I know with my dreams personally, it'll often be an occurrence that most most likely could occur, but it will be in a place where it would never occur. So there are dreams like that, where there's always an aspect of Dvarim Betelim, something that is not true, but that doesn't mean that one should actually disregard the entire dream. But that was the point that Yaakov was trying to make, was that they should disregard the dream, but that making that point was in order to defend Yosef and to, make, to minimize the impact of his speech. The Radak, on the other hand, talks about This dream gives us its explanation. The sun and the moon are his mother and father. And the stars are his brothers, that there were 11 of them. Whenever a dream comes up in this form of a seeming mashal, 
We must understand that there is a pitaron, there is a nimshal. And within this nimshal, there is a large element of nevuah that, um, that was given over specifically by Hashem to his servant. So one cannot disregard this dream, even if there is some sort of dvarim betilim. When a dream comes in this form, where it is as if a mashal waiting for its nimshal, there is always the nimshal, and that nimshal it has an element of nivula. So whereas Rashi is saying, Yaakov is trying to emphasize that it's po- emphasize that it's possible to throw away the entire dream. Whereas the Radak is commenting and saying, no, we know this pattern, this type of dream. When everyone has this type of dream, it calls upon us to bring out the nimshal, and there is an element of nivula within this. The Ramban adds in another interesting point about why Yaakov rebukes Yosef and what that has to do with the dream itself. The Ramban comments and says, Ve'esaper el aviv, siper ha'chalom hazel la'aviv, ve'lo harishon, ki hu atzmo ha'mikir v'pitrano, ki ha'shemesh yermoz la'aviv, v'hu ga'arbo. What is happening here? Yosef is only first telling Yaakov of his dreams by the third dream, second or third dream. And why is that? Because he felt Yaakov is clearly in this dream. Yaakov clearly represents the Shemesh and my mother, the Yerayach. <laughs> So what is going on here? Yosef was not naive. He came the first time he told it only to his brothers because he felt that this dream applied only to his brothers. By the second, um, by the second chalom, he includes the telling over to his father because he says, oh, my father is clearly the son. And it was at this point that Yaakov responded to him and tried to bring him down to earth, that this guy should not float away with his ego. Because, he says, what are dreams? Dreams are a manifestation of what we are thinking deep down. That there must be a certain level of gobat halev, of haughtiness, that brought Yosef to not only have this dream, but to be willing to explain this dream out loud, specifically even to his father. So, when he tells it over specifically to his father, he is indicating that he understands what this dream means. And that is why Yaakov got Arbo. That is why Yaakov rebuked him because he is not rebuking him for having a dream. He's not even necessarily rebuking him for telling over the dream. Rather, what he is doing is he is rebuking him for the character traits that allowed one or caused one to have a dream just like this. So that is the opinion of the Ramban. So it's not that we should disregard everything about it, but rather it's that the dream itself was not what was important. It was the, the manifestation of the, um, it was the, the manifestation of the emotions, of the feelings and the character traits that would lead one to think like this. But so now that we've understood kind of how we understand the dreams in general and a little bit in context of these dreams,
I want to try to understand what the symbolism of these dreams themselves were. First, we can look at them in comparison between one and the other. The first one is very simple. It's very basic. Sheaves of wheat are some of the most basic crops. The think of everything we have, bread, water, those were the basic staples. And bread starts from simply wheat and water, flour and water. And that is how we eventually come to the most basic staples of our diet. So sheaves of wheat are pretty simple. Whereas in the second dream, we are within the context of the broader universe, that there's the sun, the moon, the stars, these out-of-worldly creations that are so much more grand than sheaves of wheat. So whereas in the first dream, he seems to be dreaming small, it's within a very natural, very mundane um, focus of the dream. Whereas the second dream is much more grand. It is much more large. It is much more grand scale. It is literally out of this world. The other element to contrast is that in the first dream, it is not Yosef himself that is being bowed down to. Rather, it is one sheaf of wheat that is equal to all of the other sheaves of wheat. And they are all simple, just plain old sheaves of wheat. The human beings in the story are not necessarily involved. They're there harvesting. But the bowing and the respect, the exchange of kavod, comes between only the sheaves of wheat. The other dream, on the other hand, is one that is so much more out-of-worldly. It is so much more grand. Even the vision of sun and moon and stars is so much greater than that of sheaves of wheat. And also important to notice that what do the stars and the sun and the moon bow down to? Not, not to the, um, not to another star that it represents Yosef, rather they bow down to Yosef himself. That Yosef is present within this story. And that shows a lot more self-centeredness than the sheaves of wheat. One can say it was just a representative of Yosef. Once they are all, all bowing down to Yosef himself, it is a lot harder to say that he does not have these grand visions of himself. This certain haughtiness that is mentioned by the Rambach. Both dreams are very clearly about leadership, that Yosef ends up in this position of leadership, and everyone else is there to serve him. And then, okay, so we have this, we analyze the context of the dream, are we meant to even understand dreams at all? Specifically, when it comes to these two dreams, what, is, what are the differences between them? What are the similarities? The similarities are that they both focus on leadership. And the differences are all the subtle nuances that we found between the two, the two dreams. That one is very tied to this earth. One is very out of worldly. One is very simple. One, are very, one is very grand. One includes Yosef himself being the subject of all of this kavod. And one finds, and one does not. But then it becomes even worse. Yosef then becomes identified by this idea that he is a dreamer. In Barashas Paraklam and Zion, it says, Again, we are in the next Pasuk. In the next Parak, all Yosef's brothers have gone out 
Um, Yosef's brothers have gone out to shepherd the fields. And again, as we explained when we were talking about Ben Zukunim, Yosef stayed home and he was with his father, which may have been his typical role within the family. However, Yaakov sends out Yosef to go check on his brothers while they are out shepherding. And when they see him from afar, they say, Ah, oh, look who's coming, Mr. Dreamer Man. And while we can understand it, that based on the fact that, that um, it's what they're up to, it was probably mocking. Like they seem to be mocking him. This has re- truly become an essence of Yosef and is going to be something that is going to follow him for much longer. The Malbim says, the brothers, when they saw Yosef, it wasn't just they were like, oh, here's the Baal Chalomot, here is the guy who has dreams. Rather, they say, look at the audacity of this man, that he is the Baal Chalomot, he's obsessed with these dreams. And look at him coming out to the field. You think he's here to check on us? No. He's here to end up in the field because he knows that he saw in his nevuah, in his dream, that um, that we are going to worship him in the field. And therefore, here he has come to make sure that his vision comes true. But why is it such a big deal to the brothers? Why do they care so much? Oh, why do they care that he's coming to the field? Like, okay, they have an annoying younger brother. He has very grandiose ideas. He is not very nice to them. Why do they care? Like, why do they care about what he is talking about in these dreams? Why does it say they hated him for it? What was so troubling about his dreams? And Rav Hirsch gives us a fascinating insight into the mindset of the Shvatim at that time. It is remarkable that she, he should have dreamt of build, of binding sheaves. That was something which ordinarily they had no connection with. They were shepherds. To become an agricultural people lay for them as still as their destiny in the distant future. If agricultural was so much in his mind that he even dreamt of it, the brothers were justified in thinking that that could only be due to the teaching and information given to him by my father Israel over the expected national destiny of the house. What is going on here? The, the, the Hirsch is telling us that when we think about it, we're like, oh, they were shepherds, sheaves of wheat make sense. But that's just because we don't live on farms. We would say, what does one have to do with the other? Like what shepherding has nothing to do with sheaves of wheat. Sheaves of wheat is part of an agricultural society. The sheep and the, and the goats and all the animals that doesn't have to do with that kind of farm. This is not an agricultural society in which one cares specifically for sheep and goats. So rather, what the brothers thought when Yosef ta- told them about these sheaves of wheat was, wow, Yosef must be so preoccupied thinking and must have so much information on what our future will look like in terms of how we are going to spend our days. Is this going to remain a society based on sheep and cattle and goats? Or Yosef seems to believe that our 
our culture is going to transition to a cult, an agricultural one, meaning that Yosef may have further insight as to when we are going to return to the land, when we are going to set, settle in the land. And that was scary to the um, to the rest of the Shvatim. Why is that? Because they recognized that this was not just some normal family. This was not a regular family that was um, that was going to continue on as regular families do. Rather, they understood that there was an extra added um, responsibility within our family, and that was that we were going to be the beginning of the Jewish people. And they they were very much aware and very self-conscious of the fact that one of them was going to come out as a ruler. And when Yosef seemed to to present that he had thought extensively, that he had thought extensively about agriculture and what an agricultural society would look like, these brothers assumed that he had been privy to insider information, that he, um, he was able to imagine that there was a new society that would develop once they were in their own land. And that was because, according to their thought processes, Yaakov had created, um, Yaakov had already given over that information to Yosef. But again, why were the brothers so nervous that Yosef dreamt about sheaves of wheat? Because that was not the society they were in right now. That was not how they supported themselves. They knew that the goal of an agricultural society, which eventually they were meant to have in Eretz Yisrael, they knew that it would come eventually. Um, But right now, they saw it as a sign that Yosef had been privy to more leadership information from Yaakov, that he was able to so tangibly imagine a... um, a culture based on agriculture, that that's what was appearing in his dreams. And that was scary to the brothers because they were very self-conscious about the future of their people. And they knew that one of them was going to emerge as a leader. So these dreams hold more of a significance that originally meets the eye. It's not just that this is about Yosef's leadership and some haughtiness mixed in and how we should deal with that. Rather, these dreams hold much more of a significance, and they continue to play a significant role within Yosef's life. Here, they are the root and the beginning of Yosef's brother's hatred for him. They are the reason, and they are mentioned again when Yosef is thrown into the pit. And then later on, they become tied to his... um, freedom from his incarceration in jail. They become part of his, the beginning of his relationship with Paro and his pronouncement as the viceroy of Egypt. And they become, um, they get him, they get him out of jail. They bring him to the viceroy of Egypt and they lead him to be successful in that role as well. Where do we see this? In Barashas Parak Mem, Yosef is now down in Mitzrayim, and he has an unfortunate run-in with Ishet Potiphar. The wife of Potiphar, who was his boss, tried to seduce Yosef, and while he did not sin with her, she framed him, and he was sent to jail. Yosef was then sitting in jail, and a butler and a baker sinned to their master and were sent to the same jail as well. So 
So Para was angry at these two sorry sim, at these two um, servants. So Paro threw them in with Yosef in this Beta Asurim. The Sarah Tabachim was there with Yosef, and they were there all there for many days. The butler and the baker, they both have their a dream on the same night, and they don't have any way of explaining it. So when Yosef saw the butler and the baker in the morning, he saw that they looked down. Yosef says, what's the matter? Why are you so sad? We dreamt dreams, but we don't know what their explanation is. Tell me your dreams. I'm sure God has an explanation for you. If you tell it to me, I will try to convey the answer from Hashem about what the pitaron of this dream is. So now Yosef has transitioned. Dreams are so much a part of his life that now he is not only trying to share his own dreams, but he is trying to help people cope with their own dreams, the explanations of it. And he recognizes that there is a greater mystical power to these dreams. And therefore he says, instead of saying, I will help you to understand your dreams. He says, I'm sure Hashem has an answer for you. He is seemingly the liaison for those who have dreams to try to understand what they mean. So really everything about Yosef seems to revolve around dreams. It was the original dreams that caused his brothers to hate him. Then he was known as the Baal HaChalomot, the one who dreams, the owner of all the dreams. And then he begins to interpret other dreams. First the Sarah Mashkim, then the Sarah HaOfim. Then he goes to Paro and he interprets Paro himself's dreams. So what? why all these dreams? Why are all these dreams important? Why do we know about them? Why are we told about them? What is so significant about this idea of dreams? And in an article brought down by Rabbi Alex Israel, who is a teacher of mine who has fantastic ideas based on the Parsha, Rabbi Alex Israel suggests and he says that it was not the content of the dreams, it was not even the ego behind the dreams that infuriated the brothers. Rather, they did not only hate Yosef because of what he dreamt, but because of the fact that he dreamt, that he was willing to be that dreamer. He dared to dream, and for that, they hated him. What does that mean? Again, if we looked back at that Pasuk, that Yosef tells his brothers, so let's look back at it. As we said, that first Pasuk in where Yosef has that first dream is very ambiguous. It could be that he had a first dream that he didn't tell to anyone. And then the next dream is the one that he begins telling to others. But that Pasuk leads us to say, That Yosef was hated 
because he was one who had the ability to dream. He had this ability to be that big dreamer. And it was for that that his brothers hated him. What does that mean that he is a dreamer? This is the quality of being one step ahead, having a vision for the future. Being someone with a dream is being someone who can see beyond the current confining limitations within, where, within which one is held. So Rabbi Soloveitchik tells us in the Rav Speaks, his five addresses, what did Yosef seek? What was Yosef looking for? To what did he aspire? What foreboding troubled him? The answer is an obscure feeling of insecurity frightened him. What were the elements of his insecurity? The biblical Yosef was not persuaded that Yaakov dwelt in the land of his father's wanderings, would endure for long. The words, your seed shall be strangers in an alien land, kept tolling in his ears. He saw himself and his brothers in an alien environment, far from the land of our binding sheaves. We are no longer in Canaan. We are in the land of Egypt and we can no longer be shepherds. We are integrated into a new economy with new styles of living, characteristics, and laws. Basically, he dreamt of a new framework within which the unity of the family would be preserved, even in the far-flung places where the creator of the universe would scatter them. So what is Rav Hirsch saying here? Rav Hirsch is saying that Yosef is coming with a very different approach to life at this moment than his brother's. He is looking at the future. Yosef is looking and saying, what do we have now? We have this nevuah that we are going to be slaves in a foreign land. And therefore, he was able to imagine this future world. Whereas his brothers were so stuck in the world in which they were in, anything in the future that they can imagine was just a future version of exactly the way they lived right now. These brothers did not understand him, for they looked upon a future as a continuation of the present. All of the brothers just saw more of what they had right now, whereas Yosef realized that things were going to be different. They perceived all problems from within the framework of their life in Canaan. In the traditional surroundings, in the thoroughly familiar habitat of the patriarchs, they did not need new frameworks or novel economic methods. The biblical Joseph relates, and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow down to me. There is secular and great and powerful technology creating wonders and changing in the foundation of our lives. Even if that is true, that Canaan we can get along without, his, um, his secular culture entails destructive elements, many negative and perverse aspects. Finally, we will have to relate to it. The confrontation will not take place in Canaan, however, where the temple of life flows serenely, but in a new and alien land. God's decree, your seed will be strangers in a land not their own, will be fulfilled sooner rather than later. In a land not their own, I fear we will not be able to maintain the separation between us and the surroundings. We will, if we will not be prepared for new conditions... The environment will swallow us. On the other hand, if we think of the future, we can plan. What is Rav Soloveitchik pointing out here? He is pointing out the differentiation that had occurred between the brothers and between Yosef. The Yosef brothers were so bogged down to this world. They were so tied down to what they were used to, what they saw directly in front of them. Yosef, on the other hand, was a dreamer. He had grand plans. He was able to look beyond what they were experiencing right now 
And he was able to say, how can we improve? How can we make things better? How can we understand the transition that is about to occur in our lives? And it is for this that the brothers heeded him, that he was always this one step ahead. He was looking to the future. He was able to imagine a world that was different from the one he was in right now. And for that, they began to hate him. But this is the midah that I want us to take from Yosef. This midah of being a dreamer, of being able to dream big. This was Yosef's strength, that he was able to dream big. And this is what happens and helps him throughout his life. For example, he dreams of sheaves. He is able, even though they are totally only trained in being um, in being shepherds and everything that that entails, he was able to imagine the sheaves of wheat. He was able to imagine so far into the future where they are going to have a, a completely different type of society because the land will completely belong to them. He was able to imagine coming out of prison. That is why he asks the Saramashkin when the Saramashkin leaves to remember him. Even though it doesn't work out in that moment, he was able to imagine it. He was able to imagine not being stuck in jail, that he would be able to come out. He was able to see the years that they needed to save for, even when they were in the years of plenty. That when he is appointed the viceroy of Egypt, he recognized that even though they were experiencing seven very productive years, um, that seven years of famine were going to follow. And he was able to envision that and how that should look in order that they will survive for the seven difficult years based on what they were able to accomplish during the seven years of plenty. So this is Yosef. Yosef is the dreamer. He looks beyond where he is right now and he is able to see what needs to be changed, how they need to pre- how they need to prepare, and most importantly how the future can look. The brothers were unable to imagine a future and that was what irritated them so much about Yosef. That they were a- unable to relate to the fact that he was able to see that brighter future. So I think the Mita that we want to take from Yosef is one of being able to be a dreamer, to see beyond the current confines and limitations of the situation you're in and see how things can and will be different. One other idea that I want to read from Rav Soloveitchik, Rav Soloveitchik actually has an entire Sefer. It is called Vision and Leadership. It is Reflections on Yosef and Moshe. So in here, he has a chapter called Joseph the Dreamer. And I just want to read you one excerpt from Rav Soloveitchik from here. The second trait of Yosef's character comes to expression in the next part of Yaakov's blessing. The Rav is basing what he is describing right now based on Berchas Yaakov, the bracha specifically given by Yaakov to Yosef on Yaakov's deathbed. And the arm of his hands were ornamented with gold from the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, there the, she- the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Yosef was a very practical man. He organized the Egyptian economy and ran the whole empire. He saved the Egyptian people from the worst famine. He was the statesman par excellence. He knew how to deal with people. He understood human weakness and human nature. However, at the same time, he was a dreamer, a visionary who beheld something beautiful and mysterious. He was fascinated by a world purged and cleansed from evil, a humanity that reached the apex of moral ascent. He dreamt not only of farming, but of stars winking to him from boundless distances. 
Yosef, as the Rav is explaining, had two aspects of personality. There was his pragmatic, practical side that was able to look out at the world and see the economy, see the agriculture, things that he could do or that we could do to maintain a certain level in the world. He knew how to deal with people. He was a great businessman. He really had it all going for him. But he also had this ability to be a visionary, to think about a better world, not just a successful world, but a world that would be better morally, spiritually, an improved world beyond what we are stuck in right now. The greatness of Joseph expressed itself in that strange merger of two mutually exclusive powers, one of logical analysis of precision of discrimination between fact and fancy, the power of being intact with reality no matter how uncomfortable, and the other of dreaming, questing, and reaching out for something which reality does not have. Yosef was able to merge these two. He was able to live in the reality while still having this mida of being a dreamer, of being to carry out the day-to-day while remembering that there is so much more, that it is so much greater than what you are doing right now, and that you can make that change in order to make what you envision to be better, to make it come true. The multicolored garment which Joseph wore, the arms and the hands were, or, were ornamented with gold, symbolized the very gist of his personality. Dreaming and pragmatism, clairvoyance and realism, it had many colors, and it is in that contradiction that, this, this, that his distinctiveness was manifest. Yosef stood out specifically in this situation. Whenever someone stands out, that can bring upon them hatred that he was so distinct in the way that this balance in in his personality manifests itself. Of course, the Jews represent the same ambivalence. Now the Rav is bringing it down to us. The Jews represent the same ambivalence. He has inherited Joseph's dual nature. On the one hand, we are very practical people. We are skeptics, very critical of things and events. We examine every phenomenon in the light of -of matter-of-fact logic in terms of possibilities and probabilities. We have a down-to-earth approach, and emotions do not sweep us off our feet. On the other hand, like Joseph, we are dreamers, prophets, visionaries, beholding the whole universe, hoping and believing that even though it is slow in coming, the great day by Yom HaHu will finally arrive. And for the sake of that wondrous day, we have heroically defined, defied the whole world and retained our identity. The dual nature of the Jew as realist and visionary has become responsible for our, for our survival. Like Joseph, we can dream and be seers while, while living in a very pragmatic, scientifically oriented world. That what the Rav is saying is that what Yosef passed down to us is this ability to balance pragmatism, practicality, living within the world that we are living in, with this idea of being able to look towards the future, of being dreamers, of being able to see beyond where we are right now, being able to look past the sheep and the cattle and to see those sheep, to be able to look past the prison and see those days of being viceroy of Egypt, to be able to look at the lives that we are living and say, it could be better, it can be better, it will be better, to be able to look out and appreciate that there is something greater than where we are right now. So to to conclude, I want to ask a famous question. Why do we read these stories of Yosef so close to Hanukkah? Why do these partial always fall out right around Hanukkah? And in the Sefer Hatzitka Satzadik, 
we are told, What is the connection? Why do we read these close to Chanukah? Because it is in these plus, it is in the merit of Yosef that we were, that we merited to the Nis Chanukah. Why is that so? And the Tzitka Satzadik is telling us that it is because of this Midah from Yosef. That Yosef was a dreamer, he was able to look beyond his current situation. And it is that same character trait that was passed down to us that allowed for the niece of Hanukkah. Think about it. The nisim that happened on Hanukkah are nisim that can only happen if you believe they can happen. Nobody enters into a war being part of a tiny little army against a huge army unless you believe that there is a possibility for something greater than what we see in front of us occurring. Otherwise, you would never enter into that war if you didn't have this element of dreaming of what could be, of the possibility of us winning. You would never enter into it in the first place, and therefore Hashem would not be able to do this miracle for us. On the other hand, there's the Nezpah Hashemen. Nobody lights one day's worth of oil expecting it to last eight days. But in order for that miracle to possibly occur, you have to believe. You have to just light on that first day. Even if you don't think it's possible, you need to push yourself further. And that is what allowed us to even light that Pacha Shemen and allowed us to dream that some way, somehow, it would lead to a miracle, that Hashem would then step in. But these Nisim of Hanukkah would be impossible if we didn't have this element of being a dreamer, of being able to imagine that things will be different from how they are right now. And that is why that because of Yosef, we merited the Nisim of Hanukkah, that he taught us this trait. He gave us this ability to open ourselves up to the possibilities and the range of things that can occur if we only believe that they can occur. So as we enter into this week and we enter into the holiday of Hanukkah, may we be able to recognize this trait that has been passed down to us from Yosef of being able to balance our pragmatism with our ability to be a dreamer, to be able to look at the reality of what is in front of us, but to see how things can be better and believe that things will be better. So may we be able to internalize this and to truly embrace our ability to be dreamers to envision a life better than it is right now, a future that is brighter. And Amir Tashem, just like with the Nes Hanukkah, it is when we believe and when we put our trust that life will be different, Hashem will step in and will make it different for us.